Welcome to the podcast with a purpose with information and content meant to motivate, aspire and inspire you from romance author and host Chamira E. Fleming, but you can call her my welcome to an experience. This is the Purple Charm Experience. Hello, 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 everyone. Today, I wanted to begin with a wonderful quote by the amazing Vivian Stevens, a founder of Romance Writers of America. Um, This particular episode is going to be a little bit heavy today, where I'm talking about the controversy surrounding the Vivian Award. And so I wanted to kick it off with a beautiful quote by this amazing woman. And it reads... Since we all live in the universe, it is well worth remembering that underneath the outer dressing of ethnicity, color, and gender, we are all the same, showered with the gift of stars. Hey, everybody. So today... I wanted to kick off uh, the episode with um, a discussion topic um, that kind of been not weighing on me, but it's been circling around um, on on social media. And um, I just wanted to talk about it a little bit because, you know, I know social media can be a toxic place, you know, specifically Twitter when things happen that is uh, racially charged and and there are racial elements to a particular situation and we're forced to reckon with it as a society and as a whole and whether we're you know no matter what race you are you're you're faced with this and so what I'm speaking about is the um, the issue with the controversy around the Vivian Award with the Romance Writers of America organization. Now, I think I've shared with you all um, in season one that I am a member of the organization. I'm not, I won't say I'm like super active in the organization, I joined shortly after writing my first book. I thought it would be a great opportunity for me to be able to network with other romance authors in addition to learning from a lot of the authors that are in this organization. Plus, there are some well-known authors that have come through that have won the Rita Award, which is one of their highest honors. Um awards that they used to uh give out from the organization such as you know Nora Roberts and and Danielle Steele these are some of the authors that have won those prestigious awards and have come through this organization it's actually catapulted a lot of you know uh romance authors careers to best-selling novelists and authors so Recently, they've come under scrutiny once again 
I don't know if, you know, you may not be aware of, and I think I talked about it again in the first season about some controversy in 2019. It was on the, at the end of 2019, early 2020, they went through some, you know, some, like some serious backlash where it was said that the organization had a lot of racism. Um, one of the authors, uh, was greatly criticizing the organization it's bored and it was just it was a mess you know to say the least and so they did some work you know got some diversity and inclusion training actually revamped the board probably this board that they have right now is probably the most diverse it is the most diverse board that they've had in the organization period point blank in a period but I bring this up because you know the controversy around the Vivian Award, I didn't understand what was going on. And for me, being an author, a romance author, it's important for me to know what's happening in the industry. It's important for me to know who Vivian was. Why is this award so important? And so what I, you know, when I started doing some research into finding out more about what was happening in the organization itself and then delving into what the Rita Award, I mean, not not the Rita Award, but the Vivian Award is, it actually replaced the Rita Award, which was Romance Writers of America's uh, top or most prestigious award that they would give out to, you know, deserving authors. And so, to discuss this issue plaguing the, the RWA, I felt it was best to learn more about Vivian, the Vivian Award. So Vivian Stevens is an African-American woman who helped found the Romance Writers of America. She founded it in 1980. And then researching RW, RWA's racism issues, you begin to learn that it truly dates back to the beginning of this organization when it was started. Although this black woman founded this organization, you will quickly find that she is completely erased and non-existent when it comes to a lot of the, 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 the accolades and the things that's happened over the years with this organization. It's kind of crazy. And when I joined the organization shortly after writing and publishing the violet rose i had no idea that rwa has such a troubling past one in which that lacked such diversity and inclusion it wasn't before long it wasn't long before i realized in doing this research research that although there were black and brown members they were few and far between when it comes to uh, how they were acknowledged within the organization. And they didn't serve as part of the organization's leadership team up until, you know, the year that I joined. You just didn't see people that looked like me at that time. And it wasn't until I became a romance author that these blinders that I had came down and I began to see the racial problems and inequities in this industry. And for instance, um, I was reading an article by uh, TexasMonthly.com 
and they and I quote um, there is a there was a survey a 2014 survey of 4,000 romance writers that was conducted by Christine Larson which is a romance expert and journalism professional professor at the University of Colorado Colorado Boulder and she it, that that survey revealed that authors of color earned less earned about 60% less than white writers. Can you imagine that? Being an author like me and I'm learning less than my counterpart. You know, and there are women that have come through the Romance Writers of America organization and that are women that are white women authors who have um completely had their 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 careers in romance, the romance writing industry just completely take off, you know, and become bestseller and authors. You know? And then it wasn't until two thousand nineteen that a black writer had been awarded the Rita Award, which like I said was the RWA's highest honor. And it wasn't that we didn't try or that, that we didn't want it. It's just that we never had the opportunity or was given, you know, the, 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 the uh, ability to shine in that way. And I thought it was ironic that although this organization that was founded by a black woman, somehow it had experienced so much lack of diversity and opportunities for women of color for so long. And it's just amazing to me that even in this this space, we have to navigate racism in 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 such a, a, a intrusive way. And it's like no matter how far we go, you realize the tentacles of racism and what it touches in every aspect of our lives. So many people that act like that, that racism doesn't exist, please believe me, it does. And so I bring this all up because the Vivian Award recently, um, it's, it's a new award. Like I said, it was it replaced the Rita Award when they started this whole new panel, um, this whole new diversity, inclusion, and equity, diversity, equity, inclusion effort to really start to deal with the racism that was built into this organization for so long and try to rectify it and make the organization better. And so what they did was they got rid of the Rita Award and actually decided to uh, uh, honor one of the founding members, which was Vivian Stevens, by creating this, this award called the Vivian Award. And now it is its highest honor. And when they did so, one of the stories or one of the novels that they they awarded that was in the Christian romance category it is the um, and this particular romance story received a lot of backlash. I have not read it. I don't read Christian novel, Christian romance novels, to be quite honest. So the the genre they that for this particular award that was crit- heavily criticized it is in the room like i said the christian romance area and it's it's defined as on 
RWA's uh, website is defined as romance with religious or spiritual elements as a subgenre of romance and requires a redemptive arc as a genre convention. Especially, essentially, the character can't be redeemed by human means. Only through their spiritual or religious awakening can they find redemption for their moral failings or crime and or crimes against humanity. The book in question is called At Love's Command by Karen Whitmire. Now, what makes this, this particular book so problematic and an issue for you know, everyone that, you know, that's caused it to be heavily criticized for winning the Vivian Award is that the story in the, in the novel itself is just problematic. Like, it is a Christian romance novel that begins with a scene that basically glorifies slaughtering uh, Native Americans and, and, and making murder seem this genocide seemed romantic and basically the hero in the story you know begs for god for his forgiveness and then eventually gets the woman this is how it was described in one of the articles that i read and in addition to the story itself being a problem to tie it to an award that was essentially created as a symbol of diversity and inclusion to me was even more of a slap in the face now i don't blame necessarily the board for this happening because you know i sat in on one of the town hall on the town hall meeting um last week and listen and i my heart went out to them because i know they doing what they can to try to establish you know a diverse environment for all romance authors to to be able to thrive and to gain and garner successes for their work but it just it just made me feel like they keep tripping over their feet when it comes to this area and for them to have such a diverse pan uh diverse board and this type of mistake to happen it was just beyond me and it was just you know i felt frustrated for them because i know it's not that they're not trying but i just feel like this one should have like this 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 particular type of story should have been one that they should have easily been able to call out like it's not cool or okay for you know a a, a group or a mass group of people to be killed and then, you know, even if it is depicting a particular history, historical, you know, uh, fact and uh, historical time in history, and then, you know, uh, and then using and using, you know, Christian, the Christian, um, the the Bible or the Christian um, religion or faith to justify or to be forgiven for what you've done. It's almost like glorifying slavery <laughs> and saying that the people, the, the, the slave owners, you know, because they asked God to forgive them or to, they prayed every night, you know, that it was okay for them to engage in slavery that made it okay. 
or a lot of the things that was happening where it comes to women being uh, black uh, slave women being raped and you know kid people you know people being lynched all of those things justify because you get on your knees and pray every night and say thank the Lord for blessing you or thank the Lord for the things that you have and that you see these people as property same thing it's like ridiculous it's ridiculous <laughs> I just you know this this is one of the reasons why when I write my books it's important to to be mindful of who will be affected by what you're writing you know I know it's freedom of speech everybody has their own voice and you can say and do what you want to do but you like what I was reading in some of the articles you should not be awarded for this type of work <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry it's just it's just it's just problematic you know you can write whatever you want but I'm not gonna award you one of the highest honors of an organization for writing about killing, you know, a mass group of people. And because you asked for forgive, because your, your character asked for forgiveness later, found love, fell in love, that it's okay. That we just forget that all of that happened, you know. And so I just brought that up today because um, I thought it was really important <laughs> to show how even in one of the most loving genres of writing of the writing industry where you know people fantasize about love and romance and um happily ever afters where there's a situation that is quite dark in this space that's still plaguing it you know how we're still reckoning and dealing with racism as a as a as a society in every aspect of our lives you know a lot of people don't believe people of color deal with or face racism or face the remnants or um uh what is the word i'm looking for the remnants of white supremacy in every aspect of our our lives um it's just not true and it's if you're if you're looking for it or if you open your eyes to it you'll see it if you live this life you live this life so you already know what's happening but you know it's quite difficult for me as an author to sit here and be an author who is not a best-selling author um, who would love to be a best-selling author. And I know I write stories that are realistic that people can relate to. Um, but I would never write something that would offend another group of people, you know, in any way just to make my hero or my heroine in my story um, redeem themselves in such a way, you know, through their faith. I would never have them hurt other people to be able to redeem themselves through their faith. And that's crazy to me. And then, um, but I also say all of this to say is that I just want to uplift the, the board 
of the RWA because after listening to their town hall panel discussion, my heart just went out to them. And this world can be world can be so cruel, and it's not the same type of board that they had prior to 2019, um, where you know if you were popular and it was like clickish and if you had a certain type of book that you wrote, you oftentimes continuously got the acknowledgement and got the awards and where doors opened up for, and I just, you know, I'm just being honest, a lot of doors opened up for white women authors or white writers, you know, in the romance author space where it typically was not or had not been for people like me who is an African-American author. And I just, you know, I, I so much so that I just felt like I needed to write them a note and let them know that I support them, that I encourage them to continue doing what they're doing. The work is not easy. It is never easy trying to change a system that has traditionally been been oppressive to a group of people or marginalized a certain group of people. It's never easy to make those changes. And I, I, um, commend them for taking on this, this work because it's difficult and not everyone is cut out to do it. Many of them, you know, have considered letting it go, giving up, not even dealing with it, but we need people to fight for equality and fight for um, diversity, equity, and inclusion for all of us, you know, and I let them know that any way that I can help to support their efforts, I'm willing to do so. And, you know, I don't want to be one of those people that tear other folks down. I don't want to even tear the author of the book down. She wrote what was in her heart. She wrote what was on on her mind and on on her heart. And, that's what we're supposed to do as writers. We write what we feel. But I just don't feel like, you know, it's okay when other people are hurt in the process. Or when you depict something in history that is offensive to other people. And that's something that we have to be aware of as authors as well. And, you know... It's not okay. In the past, something like that would have slid and it never would have got addressed. At least it's getting addressed now. And for that, I am grateful. And like I said, I support uh, Romance Writers of America, the board, and all of their doing to make this organization better. I'm still an active member. I will continue to be an active member unless they do something that causes me to feel like it's not worth it they're not even trying anymore then I will be here supporting what they do and I just wanted to you know come on here and say that because I think they deserve a little bit of grace and and some you know some 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 good vibes and not the negative ones And I just also wanted to reflect on Vivian Stevens because she is an amazing woman. I might spend an episode talking about her as well. 
because she was a trailblazer in this field, an editor. And just to read some of the things that she, you know, writes in like the quotes that in some of the articles that I was reading where she, you know, was quoted, just poetic. And um, we deserve to shed more light on her as as a woman within this area, the genre of, of writing. So um, thank you for listening today. I hope that this opened your eyes to some of the issues, you know, that are within this industry that I am facing as an author and um, how I'm navigating it. Right now, I'm navigating it by, you know, being supportive and um, making it... um, creating opportunities where people can learn about how some of the things that they can say or do offend other people and being open and honest about it and talking about it because that's something we need to do because racism does exist (laughs) and it is reflective and reflected through many of the areas of our lives whether you want to believe it or not Somebody is dealing with it and facing it every day. Hey, 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 everyone. Right now it's time for one of my favorite parts of the episode where we discuss what you all know as my sip of the week. And this week... I don't have a particular sip because I wanted to talk about something that is very, very important to me. I wanted to share a few accomplishments that I have um, made over the the summer and basically use it as an opportunity to, to motivate, aspire, and inspire you to accomplish some of your goals and aspirations for the year. And um, I keep coming back to... these things because I want to make sure that we're all reaching and accomplishing our goals that we set at the beginning of the year as we get to the last quarter you know finishing up this third quarter going into the fourth quarter of the year and so one of the things that I did accomplish this summer um, I began taking a course um, through wine enthusiasts um, for my WSET, which is also known as the Wine and Spirits Education Trust Level 1 Certification Course. That was a five-week course. It began in May, ended in June, and uh, I'm happy to report. I think I had mentioned that I was going to, you know, I was excited about taking it and that if I passed the exam, I was going to, you know, let you all know, I am happy to report that I did pass my exam and they are in the process of sending me my certificate and my pen that certifies that I'm level one, um, that I received my level one certification in wine. And so, um, I just want to say that, you know, the wine and spirits education trust is 
known for providing best-in-class education and qualifications to inspire and empower the world's wine and spirits, professionals, and enthusiasts. And they offer a comprehensive suite of qualifications covering wine, spirits, and sake. And this particular organization is globally recognized as the international standard in wine and spirit knowledge. And so um, I was very, you know, honored to be able to take this course and not only take the course, but pass it. And um, I'm looking forward to, you know, continuing this journey and and getting uh, level two, three and four, hopefully in the future. Um, But I just wanted to let you all know that because this was something that was important to me, especially when I share my sips. I wanted to be able to share my sips with the ability to be able to speak, you know, knowledgeably, you know, with knowledge, with a knowledgeable background about the sips that I was sharing with you all um, each week. And I wanted you to be able to have that trust in me that when I when I uh, tell you, you know, oh, at least recommend to you what I what I'm sipping and what I enjoy, um, that I'm doing it with a knowledge base that is supported in a, a recognized system for, you know, critiquing wines and for um, recommending recommending different types of wines to to others. So um, I just wanted to share that with you. That's one. And then two, I'm going to, if you look in the description of this, this particular episode, you'll see an article um, that I did. I was interviewed by Voyage Magazine um, recently, and I they interviewed me to share my story as an inspiration to others who are entrepreneurs, who are pursuing their their dreams. And so um, I was fortunate enough to be um, asked to um, participate in this this news article, this particular article for this magazine and share my journey as an entrepreneur and as a, a romance author. And so I hope that you would take a moment to, to check it out, read it. Let me know your thoughts if you like it. Um, even if it inspires you, because, you know, that's part of my mission as not only as an author um, to write great and beautiful romance novels, but to also motivate, aspire and inspire my readers and beyond to live their lives with uh, purpose, intention and full of passion. And I say that all the time because I do believe it. And that is what I'm hoping that is happening each and every time I do something um, out in the community where people can get a visual of who I am and what I do. So I bring all of those things up to say that is what I have been working on over the summer. Some of the things that I've been working on over the summer that have, you know, come full circle as into completion or, you know, and have now uh, can now be counted as actual accomplishments for this year. And so um, I hope it inspires you. I would love to hear what you're doing um, and inspire me to keep pushing. You know, whatever you're doing will inspire me as well. And we can be an inspiration to each other. But 
Um, I just wanted to share those things with you because it's important to me. And um, I thank you for listening. Hey, 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 everyone. Today I'm back with three new facts um, of Prince history that I wanted to share with you all. Um, This one, I'm purposely skipping over the Black album because, um, oh, I might cover it later, but I'm just purposely uh, skipping that one today because I really want to focus on the Love Sexy album. It's one of my favorite albums. And ironically, even though it was released on May 10th, 1988, when I recorded this episode, it was actually the 10th of August. And so... (laughs) Um, I just wanted to start by saying that Love Sexy was the sixth, um, song on the 10th Prince's 10th album, Love Sexy. Um, this particular album I love, and it is an interesting album, um, because if you have the original version, then you know that when you get the the album it actually has just one track and although um all of the songs on the album run as one straight track on it so it's not like a traditional album where you have one track two track three track you know and so on and so forth this track is just one track and you can't skip through any of the songs you got to play it continuously straight out to listen to it and I just remember over the years that being an issue and people was, you know, really uh, irritated and pissed off with Prince because he did that. Um, but it's such a great album. And um, I love this album because of all of the great songs that's on it. It is um, just a cool, really, really cool album. Um, some of the facts that I wanted to bring up is that, um, one, Prince described the term love sexy when he was on tour, um, as a feeling that you get when you fall in love, not with a girl or a boy, but with the heavens above a lyric, not pre- present in the song itself, but taken from the song love sexy. Now, if you know anything about the history of this particular album, you'll know that this album um, was issued as a substitute after the last minute cancellation of the Black Album. Now, I've talked about the Black Album in season one, and it's one of the reasons why I'm kind of skipping over it today, but it has some really great tracks on it as well. Um, even though Prince felt like it was a more darker, um, quote unquote, demonic (laughs) album. And so he kind of abandoned that album, but nevertheless, people still kept getting a hold of the album through the black market. And so, uh, he ended up, um, releasing it later after he did love sexy for a short period of time, you know, and then he took it back down off of the the market. Um, but 
This album was recorded in just seven weeks from mid December 1987 to late January 1988 at Paisley Park. And most of the album is Prince, you know, doing solo. But but the opening track, I know, was recorded with the full band. And the three singles, some of the three singles that you may or may not remember from this particular album. um, This is fat number two. One of them became a worldwide top 10 hit in the spring of 1988. And that was Alphabet Street. It's probably one of the more uh, poppy um, type albums um and then the other two follow-up singles glam slam and i wish you heaven failed to reach the billboard hot 100 but a fun fact about glam slam is that when i moved from boston massachusetts to frederick maryland um one of the i had a, a going away slash birthday party and uh also, it included one of my best friends. Um, shout out to Jennifer Griffin, my best friend and sister um, from another mother. Uh, we had uh, I had a birthday party slash going away party for her and I. Um, and she was literally moving from Boston back to her home uh, town in Florida to attend graduate school at the University of Miami and I was celebrating my 36th birthday. And so I planned a, a an event for us to celebrate and it was called the Glam Slam Boom Bash. And I got the name Glam Slam from this album Love Sexy because I really love Glam Slam. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> It's a really cool song. So, I I mean, you really just have to be into Prince to, to really appreciate this particular album. So, my final fact is, is that although this particular album was probably Prince's least successful album here in the United States since 1980, it actually became his first UK number one album where all of the singles became... Uh, top 30 hits and received and it received critical praise and the album was accompanied by a critically acclaimed claimed love sexy tour and i remember after he passed away there were so many uh clips of the love sexy tour that began to surface on youtube and across the the, the internet and i remember watching like hours and hours of like this video footage because you you really I don't know if you can even buy the DVD at least I've tried to find it um I actually just got myself confused (laughs) by thinking that I had it but it was actually the sign of the times um tour that I got a the video of but the love sexy tour I completely love that tour because he was probably in some of the like probably the best shape of his life during that time frame um his hair was simply gorgeous um that era going into the graffiti bridge era um that is the prince that i based nate and the violet rose off of because he just looked so handsome and he looked so 
clean cut and just like beautiful as a not only as a man but just as a human being he was just gorgeous and he was so in such good shape like if you look at that show those shows back then the amount of the physicality of him dancing of him performing um all over the place and it was just like constant wardrobe changes and um the band itself was intense like the amount of um just performance that they you know the what they did it was just amazing to see cat you know on stage performing and she was just like you know what you see the right now like with the the hbcu band you know dance the dance teams the dance girls you know in the band she reminded me of of those types of girls who just get the crowd hype and it was just her and it or her and sheila sheila e and they will come and just perform together and then perform with prince and then they show it out just turn the crowd out the whole band and i was just it's just amazing to see the footage from that time period and how uh in shape all of them were and how um you know to me there's very few artists and entertainers and performers that perform on that level that they performed on you know at that time and no to me no one touches prince michael jackson janet jackson you know uh anybody that came up during that time period and they was performing at the level that those guys was performing at because when you went to a show of theirs they put on a show and i was fortunate enough to be able to go see janet jackson perform prince and michael were two of the ones that i really wanted to see perform but i never did get a chance to you know see them because they they passed away before i you know was able to but i was lucky enough um over the last what five years was able to see janet perform and she rocked it it was just like young janet performing even though she was much older and i'm telling you to see these people that perform at a high level like that and they put on a quality show like that you know there will never be anyone else that can replace them that's why the welcome to america tour seeing that tour um and knowing how amazing that tour was and this album was and what it speaks to today back then it's incredible like it's incredible you know to see a person of that caliber and their performance ability you know up until their time of their death prince and michael for that matter and so um yeah love sassy is definitely one of my favorite albums um i remember when he passed i literally had that album on repeat for a minute <laughs> um when two are in love is a very special track to me um the first love scene that I wrote with Nate and Violet and the Violet Rose, I wrote 
that love scene to that track and I listen to it over and over and over again just so that I can capture the moment of these two falling in love and making love for the first time. So yeah, there are some really great connections um, that I have to these albums and to my writing <laughs> when it comes to, especially to that first book. Um, I can connect it back. And, um, but like with, you know, with the second book, much of those scenes are connected to Tony Braxton's albums. So um, I'm sure that once I get into the nitty gritty of that book, <laughs> I'll be sharing more of her tracks with you and um, how I connected with connected the story to those songs. But yeah, I just wanted to share this little, these little tidbits and these facts from um, the Prince Love Sexy album. And I hope you enjoyed it. And next week I'll have another another three fun facts or another three prince history facts for you and um we'll get right into it hi guys i just want to say thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the purple charm experience i hope you enjoyed it but in the meantime in between time I hope that you will also take a moment to check out my website, www.creativecalfrey.com, where you can find more information about me, my books, my merchandise, and more. Also, while you're there, I hope you, you will sign up for my newsletter by subscribing. If you also want to receive exclusive content and merchandise that pertains to this podcast, please sign up for my Patreon page by becoming a member. And finally, if you really enjoy listening to this podcast, please consider sharing with your friends and family. I appreciate it and they deserve to get this great information too. So until we meet again, I'll see you next time. Bye.